0: Welcome to The Suitcase and The
1: Scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey
2: everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of The Suitcase and The Scribe. Of course, my good pal Mike McKenna, along as always in St. Louis and joining us right off the hop tonight, two-time Stanley Cup champion. Andrew Ladd of the Arizona Coyotes. Andrew, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. I'm making my table bounce here, but thanks for coming and hanging out with us. It, uh, we were just talking before we started to record. Busy time in the Lad house as we get down in the, towards the, uh, the the holiday moment. Uh, three kids at home. How are things going for you?
3: Good, yeah. Like I was saying to you, it's just, it's always a fun time of year with kids. You know, they're eight, seven, and five, so they're Um, really excited about the holiday season and everything that, that comes with that. So, um, a little different here in the, in the desert than what we're, we're normally used to and with some, you know, a little bit of snow this time of year, but, uh, we're, we're completely embracing the, the nice weather.
1: That's kind of what I was curious about is if you're going to dress up a cactus or a Christmas tree. And I spent time in Vegas. I spent time uh, a little bit in Arizona in the winter, but that must be something of a nice change of pace for you considering where you've been previously, Winnipeg, Chicago, the islands. Nice to finally get a little bit of warm letter, weather in the late part of your career.
3: Right. Yeah. I really, <laughs> I really appreciated it when, when we had COVID like the family had COVID a little earlier on the year here and the ability to go outside every day and, and be in the sun and just play outside with the kids when we were quarantined for, um, you know, 10 days. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I've had the, I was in Atlanta for a bit. I was in Carolina. Mm-hmm. And, and so those are two pretty good spots for, um, for weather too, but, uh, nothing quite, quite like the desert here. And, uh, it's, it's nice to, to wake up to the sun and blue sky every day.
2: Well, I wish I could take full credit for the idea to have you on, Andrew, but uh, I was uh, chatting with my our mutual friend, uh, Trip Tracy, and uh, he was talking, you guys must have been coming through Carolina. Anyway, he was talking about catching up with you, and he mentioned this uh, fascinating um, uh, project that you and your wife, Brandy, have called 1616, and it's... Uh, well, why should I describe it? <laughs> so maybe you should, but, but just I, I was looking at your website and going through, um, you, you know, some of the, the, the things that that it looks like you're trying to address with young athletes and specifically young hockey players. And, you know, beyond, you know, teaching them to score and all those kinds of things. And, and maybe if you just describe not only what 1616 16 is, but. How did it come about? Like, why was it so important for you and Brandy to, you know, just com- commit, commit your time and your effort to creating something like this for young hockey players, young athletes?
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it's been a kind of a long process. Um, I guess I'll start from the beginning. And, and really, we started Lad Foundation as, as kind of uh, a donor-advised fund. So we would raise money for other nonprofits, you know, um, and, and really our early years committed to – uh, you know, mental health aspects. So we, we support Canadian mental health in Calgary, Canadian mental health in Kelowna, where, where we um, spent some time in, in our lives and, and just those communities. Um, and with the ultimate goal of really, you know, at some point making an impact of our own and trying to build something uh, that we had our hands on and that, that we could kind of use our experiences and, and what we've been through in life uh, just to create something impactful. So um I was in New York um, in a situation where I knew I wasn't going to play. You know, at that time I was probably feeling a little sorry for myself. And, uh, you know, during that stretch, I hired a a mental performance coach uh, and he kind of proposed the question like, Hey, well, like at the end of this year, what do you, you want to look back and and be proud of of what you did this year? Or or do you just want to kind of go through the motions and, collect a paycheck and, and, um, feel sorry for yourself. So I, I was like, you know, like I was like, yeah, you're right. So, um, it was kind of the perfect opportunity to transition from, from being just the source to, to raise money for other nonprofits and, and start to build our own, our own thing and our own program. And that really started the process of like, okay, like, what do we want to do? And something we've been pretty passionate about is, is, mental health, uh, which is kind of where it started, but, but more on the side of being proactive with, with that. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of great programs out there that are a little more reactive, you know, when, when kids are going through tough times, it's okay, how do we help them now instead of getting ahead and how do we give them the tools and support them at a younger age so they have a better understanding of maybe what they're going to face um, going forward. So that that's kind of where the the idea came uh came from and then uh as we were going through even just what we wanted this to be uh and I'll tell you I guess where 1616 comes from um because I think it really exemplifies what our program is all about and what we want to bring to kids but it's it's in 1616 they coined the term buffalo um uh, because during a storm all every animal runs away from the storm. So everyone's kind of scared of the storm. They run away and they end up actually spending more time in the storm where the Buffalo, they band together and go right into the storm. Um, and that's, it, that allows them to get through the storm quicker and, and they face you know that head on and then get through it and, and become stronger on the other side. And that's really the mindset we want to create for kids that, you know, uncomfortable things, they can be uncomfortable, but if you face them head on and, and have to have some tools to face them head on, then you're going to grow as a person and you're going to be better for those things. So I think as adults, we, we get to the age that we're at and we understand that, Hey, there's a lot of the adversity we've been through or, or the tough times have made us who we are today. And, we, you know, you wouldn't trade a lot of those lessons in because, you know, you learn so much and you grow so much in those things. So that kind of started the process of like, okay, how do we, how do we bring some of the stuff to kids at a younger age? Um, and then we, I have a friend that works at Queens university and, and they've done, uh, him, his name is Dr. Luke Martin and his, his, uh, boss and, and is one of the leading researchers in po- positive youth development sport over the last 20, 30 years. And his name is, is Dr. Jean Cote. Um, and, and so we started talking, I, I knew that he was into that and, and we'd done some stuff in the past. So I just wanted to pick his brain on, Hey, like, is there anything there that we can use to um, for what we're trying to do? And, and, and yeah, there was, they had, like I said, 20 to 30 years of, of research on how to create the best environment possible for kids to thrive in sport. And I, I think that was kind of the really the the light went off of like, this would be a great delivery service. And, and obviously uh, hockey is, has done a lot for me and it's, it's what I know best um you know i have some believability with with what i've done in the career that i've I've created and i've had a lot of experiences around around the game that i think we can you know use that and then the research that they've they've come up with over the last 30 years that no one seems to be using to create just a great environment for kids uh within the game and and i think it's something that's that's well needed at this at this time too What's so interesting? So that, was, me. that was a short-winded answer,
1: wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you set the table for us. What's What I look back at, and I mean, Andrew, I played for 14 years of pro hockey, and now I'm coaching 8U girls hockey and co-ed hockey. And you show up at these rinks, and parents are just out of control, and they all have these massive expectations. And a lot of times, I'm the calmest guy in the room or on the ice and that doesn't really jive with what parents see as being success and kind of my, my question for, for 16, or for you with this is this, from what I gather is truly targeted at the kids and how to develop them and make them into strong individuals, how much or how little is the parental aspect involved in what you guys do?
3: Yeah. So um, we really wanted to make this a, uh, impact every part of the environment. Right. So like we can teach the kids certain things, but if mom and dad are on board or the coach is not on board, you're, you're really not going to be as impactful as, as trying to get everybody to understand what we're, we're trying to do. Um, and like I said, it's, it's really about, and I think we forget this sometimes sport is, is such a great delivery service for life lessons and Mm -hmm. and character building and, and the four concepts that we deal with and, and the research is based around, are confidence, character, connection, and competence. Um, and, and really, those those are the so the competence is is uh, you know we that's just learn to play hockey and learn the game. And uh, so we have Adam Oates on board to to help us with some skills and drills to to really um, help with developing kids at a young age and, and a lot of his philosophies, which you know I've, I've been on the the right end of those in the last four or five years and think that could be really impactful. And then with confidence, character and and connection, um, you know, we're teaching kids through stories of, of professional hockey players. So, um, men and women and, and you know, through the process of trying to figure out how we wanted to deliver this, we, uh, we really, something that stood out to me is kids connect to stories really, impactfully right though they mm-hmm. you can tell them something but if, if they hear a story they rem- always remember a story so that kind of started was the birthplace of like oh like we can use professional athletes stories to really drive home these concepts because you know a- as you know like you meet so many guys that have really impactful stories and and for whatever reason as hockey players we're hesitant to to share those stories and to me they can be so impactful so I I think on one hand, this, this allows, you know, guys and girls to, to use their stories to impact these different concepts that we're trying to, to bring to kids. And then on the other hand, um, you know, instead of mom and dad, you know, telling you about different things that happened, you know, or, or, you know, I I know that I tell my eight year old kids certain things and he kind of looks at me like, Oh yeah. Like, what do you know? Kind of thing. So (laughs) I, and I think as a parent, you can relate to that, but like, you know, I, I, remember, when I was in long Island, he was like, uh, I told him something. He's like, well, like, what do you know? You're not Matt Barzell. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) right. Like, so if I have Matt Barzell telling him the certain thing, it's going to, it's going to connect. It's going to land a lot better than, than me trying to. So that, that's kind of the story aspect. And I might be rambling a little bit, but it's really trying to bring those, those different concepts and and their life concepts. But I I mean, as hockey players, we know how important those are, um, you know, within the game and and having success in the game. And if you can feel good about yourself and have confidence and understand what the connection you have with your teammates and all those different things, it makes the experience better, but also allows kids to have a lot more success too.
1: Isn't that funny how, you know, there's always somebody better us that you can look up to. Like the kids want to find somebody better than Mike. You're not Roberto Luanga or whoever else. They don't want to listen to dad. They want to find somebody better. And, but like, I just, before I flip it back to Scott, I wanted to touch on something super quick. And that's something I noticed in how you said hockey players have been, you know, we haven't been open about our stories a lot and, we have to be willing to be vulnerable for this to happen, to tell these stories, you know? And that's something I think I've really found in the last couple of years is being like, just having a willingness to be open of things that have gone wrong in my life where I was in the dumps and managed to figure a way out of it. And so I just, I think that's really a prescient thing that you brought up, Andrew, that to me it resonates because I've been in those shoes and those stories have been just super impactful. So Scott, I'll flip back to you, but I just wanted to dovetail to that and just the importance of that for anybody listening to to really take that and run with it. If you're an ex ex athlete, current athlete, tell these stories. People learn from them.
3: Yeah, no, I totally agree.
1: Yeah,
2: well, I, I'm just
1: curious, curious, Andrew, and,
2: uh, you know what? Maybe you've. You know, it sounds like it, this is, it's a, you know, sort of a living, breathing thing. And so uh, my sense is that it will continue to evolve as you move through. But are, are there things that, have, you know, that you've learned either about yourself or about what you're hoping to do or, at, you know, where you say, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm so glad we're doing this for this reason. Or, you know, maybe some of the lessons that you've learned in, in, in putting this together along with, the, with your wife and what, what that project has been like for the two of you.
3: Uh, it's been super, super impactful. I, I think one of the things we we did when we started was we wanted to run this first class in terms of how we approached it um, from every standpoint. Um, so it started when we we right at the start we hired a, a lady named Meredith Wolf who who's done extensive um, work within the nonprofit industry. She you know ran Henrik Lundqvist Foundation for a while, and she's just Uh, an amazing woman and and has been tremendous and super impactful to me and my wife. And we've learned a lot from her. Um, And uh, we just put a really strong team together. You know, we worked with a, there's a nonprofit out of Calgary that does this type of work in in classrooms called impact society. Um, They do some tremendous stuff. So we've, we brought them on board. So we've learned, you know, so much from them and then with the research and and, um, the academics from Queens and, um, you know, they're, they're the other aspect that they, they bring something a little different. So I, I feel like our, our team and then there's the production side that brings the creative aspect out and, and a you know creative company called Anthem Creative out of Edmonton that um, they've done a lot of work in the nonprofit space in terms of, of how to create a, a brand that's, um, you know, is going to speak to people. So I think from every from the business standpoint, we've, we've learned a lot um, and we've had some great guide, guidance just from people on our team. So we've been fortunate to, to be part of that aspect. And I think just the impact of working in this space, um, people have been incredible in terms of the, just wanting to help out and be a part of it. Uh, and I would say that to, just to the guys too and, and to Mike's point of like, guys need to get their stories out. It's, it's it, it, guys have been a lot, or guys and girls, I should say, but all the athletes I've talked to have been, you know, when it's like, hey, this is for 10-year-old kids. Like this is for kids they are extremely excited to, to be a part of this. And, um, so yeah, I, I think from the learning standpoint, uh, I've learned a lot from all those different things and then just the impact, we just finished a five week pilot. So part of doing this right was like, Hey, we want to pilot this to see maybe where some of our shortcomings are, like where we're missing the mark and, and have the ability to tweak and, and, and really make this impactful for, parents, coaches, and, and, um, you know, the youth athlete. So, uh, we've taken our time with doing it right. And then through that pilot process, we've had some, you know, super impactful testimonials. And, um, you know, the one that stood out to me was, you know, there was a young boy that was bullied in one of his teams and, and, um, wasn't, didn't want to play hockey this year. And his mom kind of forced him to play and was like, Hey, okay, give it one more, one more shot. And he couldn't keep him away from the rink. He was so excited. They'd have 6am practices. He'd be up at four 30 and, and was just excited to go to the rink every day. And so seeing that kind of impact, I think hit me and my wife and, and um, you kind of tear up a little bit and say, okay, like that's, when we started this thing, that's the impact that we wanted to have with what we're trying to do. So I think that's been super uh, impactful for both of us and, and has kept us, um, driving the thing forward every day.
2: Andrew, you mentioned, uh, your own experiences being with the Islander organization, uh, last couple of years have been, uh, you know, well, it, from the outside, it seems like it might've been, uh, a challenge or certainly something different in your career. You're closing in on a thousand NHL games. Um, what's it been like for you to get a chance to, to get back to NHL hockey, your time with the uh, Arizona coyotes, obviously that team is in a, you know, sort of a period of um, transitions, right? word Or not, but what's it been like for you to get back into, and to have a, have another shot to be playing NHL hockey and that, that part of, you know, the last couple of years for you, what's that been like for you?
3: Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it wasn't easy. It was tough. Um, you know, probably the toughest few years of my life in terms of navigating the situation. And, and like I said, I was, I was, I was at the point where, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to, I guess don't want to say depressed, but somewhat depressed and just numb to to the game and to the experience and, and, and what I was doing every day. Uh, And I, you know, I think that rubbed off at home and everywhere. And I just kind of, yeah. That was probably the best way to describe it. I was just numb to everything. Um, yeah. and I knew something was off and didn't know. And, and luckily I was, I was driving to the, r- the rink in, in Bridgeport one day with, with a teammate and, and he, we got talking just about the mental side of things and, and, and he suggested that hey, I call this guy that he'd worked with. Um, and, uh, his name was was Dan Leflar, and they do some some pretty cool stuff. Uh, the company is called Novus Global, but they, I had a conversation with him, and I, I immediately was like, okay, I, like I need to, to work with with this guy, and and um, thought it could be super impactful. And then that was for me kind of the turning point of like, oh, having someone hit me upside the head and say, you know, you you have control of this, and you can make this experience what you what you want it to be like, there's, there's a choice there, right? You can, you have the every day you can wake up, you can choose, you know, how you want to show up to the rink every day. You can choose the type of experience you want to have and, and get back to like, okay, what do I love, Do Dude, you know, what do I love about the game? Why did I play the game in the first place? And those, those types of things, um, which, you know, it sounds kind of, I don't know if it's, you know, it sound a little spoiled or, or entitled in, in that sense uh, that I have had to have someone, say that to me, um, but also that whole experience, you know, got me thinking of like, okay, how, you know, I am fortunate to be able to do what I do every day. And, and, and I, I lost the experience of, of playing in the NHL. So I think there's a lot of guys that lose that and don't ever get another chance to get it back. Um, and my goal the entire time that, you know, I was in New York, it was like, okay, like my goal is to get back to the NHL and play NHL games again and and prove that I can still play this game at that level. Um, and that was the driving force, you know, behind how the work I did away from the rink and, and when I was at the rink and and how I showed up every day for, you know, the young kids that I was playing with in Bridgeport or, or when I was out of the lineup in Long Island, like how I was supporting teammates and and put a lot of work into like how I could serve people, you know, when I wasn't getting a chance to, to play. Um, so to go through that and then, be able to have another opportunity here in Arizona uh, with this group. Um, It's been, it's been great. You know, I I'm just fortunate to have another chance and and to be able to uh, be playing at this level again.
1: For somebody like myself that spent so much time in the American league and like really treasured every opportunity I had in the NHL. I've seen people in similar shoes years, they come back to the American league and then they just go away. And they just stop. And I can't tell you how much I admire everything you've said to us today and just taking advantage of the opportunity. And listen, when you look around the league, it's it's no you can't hide the fact that your team in Arizona are underdogs. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the record speaks for itself and what it is, but I've been on teams that aren't where they want to be in the standings. And I think from the outside looking in, the perception is always that it must just be doom and gloom, awful, miserable, blah, blah, blah. And I just have a funny feeling that that is not what's going on in your locker room. Just hearing you talk a little bit, can you just, and we're not going to keep you too long here, but I'd like to know what the feeling is like in that Arizona locker room right now, what it's like on a daily basis to come in and be able to enjoy work and, and how you guys get along together.
3: Yeah, I think it's, it's the mindset of like, okay, what are we going to get out of today? Um, And um, you know, our coach has done a great job of, of bringing that, day in and day out and set the tone for, for that right from the, the get go. And, and, you know, I, ever going into the year, I think, you know, everyone knows we're having an uphill battle and, and we're going to have to be um, committed to, to just growing our game. You know, we have a lot of, you know, young kids in the back end and, and we have a lot of older guys that have been around um, too that understand the opportunity that we have here in terms of um, just being able to play the game and, and, and try to push this organization forward. Right. Uh, they, they've talked a lot about how we want to change the culture. And I think part of that culture is, is, Hey, how do you, how do you show up and, and work every day? And, and fortune fortunately we have such a great group in that room that, like you said, it's, it's not, these, these seasons can be miserable, um, if you allow them to be. So I, I think having that, the mindset of like, okay, you know, things didn't go well yesterday, but like th- that growth of like, okay, we just need to keep getting better and dialing things in as a team, as we move forward here and showing up with the right attitude and, and supporting each other. And as a veteran guy, helping young guys out, um, and, and being those, uh, mentors for, for the kids that need it. I think it, you can make, make the situation what you want of it. Um, it's almost, you just have to take the time to think about it and, and, not get caught up in the emotion of it.
2: Yeah, That's great stuff. Well, Andrew, it's been so great to have you aboard. And um, it's, I'm, I'm so thrilled with uh, what you and your wife uh, are doing with sixteen sixteen. I encourage everyone who's listening, check it out. It just, it looks like it, uh, you know, it hits so many important notes and I wish you all the success with that. And, and of course with the rest of the season, with the, coyotes i, I think you're pretty lucky to have you aboard so i um thanks for coming to hang out with us today and hopefully we'll we'll cross paths in in person sooner than later yeah
1: and i just want yeah. to add man keep grinding i've been there just <laughs> keep grinding man i love it
3: <laughs> thanks no i will you gotta enjoy the grind right so i, I appreciate appreciate you guys appreciate you guys having me on and yeah it'd be great to, to see you guys in person one of these days good sounds good
2: take care then andrew have a great holiday with your family
3: all right, you too. Take care, Mike. I'm so
2: I I'm, I'm so pleased that Andrew was able to join us. You know, I've known Andrew a long time, and I didn't get to throw in that. It's always good to have a former Atlanta Thrasher on the show. I Always <laughs> like to bring that in there, but I, I'm I'm my sense of it is that you would have a great perspective on you know what Andrew went through, and that you know it takes the, the, the mindset when you are in the NHL and then you're not, and then you are wondering whether you're going to get back. And man, it, I'm, it, I bet the guys in Arizona just love to watch Andrew work. And I wonder what you made of it when you're listening to him, describe that, you know, going, the emotion of that and, you know, how having to get the right headspace to approach the, the, you know, your career, if it's not where you want it to be, I'm wondering what you made of that.
1: Well, first I'll explain as the trash truck goes by in the background. So apologies for any banging noises that are happening. This is the <laughs> world we live in these days. But, <laughs> you know, I, I think that a lot of what Andrew had to say is is so pertinent yeah. uh, in a lot of different ways. But I also think that it's just purely for the young players on the scene, the optics of somebody who is doing greater than himself, yeah. that he has a foundation set up. That's something that means something to him. Yeah. Okay. He didn't just create a, another foundation to help out. You know, whatever whatever cause it may be. This is a well thought out yeah. um you know, well thought out entity that he wants to to push forward here. And to me, that's that's something I that can rub off on young hockey players if they think enough and care enough to realize it that, you know, this guy won scratch and clawed his way back to the NHL. Okay. Yeah. I mean his contract gets him back there, it's an opportunity. But like if he had just put his head down and quit in Bridgeport in the American Hockey League, he wouldn't be back in the NHL period. He had to be able to step on the ice and be able to play. And there's a resilience to that. And I've seen plenty of players that once they go down to the American League, it is over. And they'll think, Scott, that I'm just, I just need the chance. I just need to get back. I just need the chance. And and they don't put the work in. Right. Yeah. They just think, because I was an NHL player, I can do this. Yeah. Um, and I think for him, you know, you listen to Andrew talk and it just shows how well, how much the power of mindset matters, you know, yeah. only you can get yourself out of this, you know, the sports psychologist or the, the person he spoke to basically said that, Hey, make the most out of this. You're still playing hockey, get it together. You know? And I think what he talked about with the stories being told, I've been there before, like, my sophomore year of college, man, I could tell you the story that just I was at the bottom, man, and, and I was crying under my goalie mask. And that's the one time in my life that I remember thinking, Mike, get it together. And that was my snap out of it moment. And, you know, we, we all go through things in life and it's amazing how resilient we can be. And I just I think he's a great role model for everybody there. And I'm sure that, you know, those players in Arizona absolutely appreciate having him around. Yeah. Good point.
2: And I mean, you, this is, this is a hard day for you. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm glad that we're sharing this moment. I'm glad we shared the conversation with Andrew, but it's a hard day for you and your family, family member that you had to furry family member that you had yeah. to say goodbye to. And I, I, a, I just, I want you to know that we're thinking about you and uh, that must be hard. And I know that you're going to, that you may put um, pen to paper on this, as it were. Uh, th- you know, you know that's the theory of it. Um, <laughs> Fingers it's, it's to keep happening. Yeah, yeah, but it's anyway. I just, uh, if you want to share that, yeah, you sure, can, but sure, the, yeah. Sorry that you had to go through that.
1: Well, we thank you, Scott. Um, yeah, I, I'd like to. I mean, I I will have a piece coming out for Daily Face Off about us saying goodbye to our nearly fourteen-year-old. Dog who was named Bauer, and uh, Bauer turned out to be one of the probably most common names for a dog ever within hockey circles, and I didn't realize that at the time. Uh, so I'm guilty as charged there. Um, but man, this—I didn't like dogs. I was a cat person, and my wife really wanted a dog because I was gone so much, and it was early in my career, and she just wanted a companion. She'd always had dogs, and I finally came around to it. I'm like, I cannot continue to be selfish here. She needs—just suck it up, Mike. You can—you can live with a dog. You'll be fine. And then that dog just, I just fell in love with that dog, man. And like he used to sleep with me at pregame naps and I'd come home and anything could happen on the ice, Scott. And the moment I saw that tail wag and that dog look at me, nothing mattered. And he, I don't think I have the career that I did as, you know, mediocre as it may have been. Like, I just, I don't think, I don't think I have it without him because he he helped me learn to put hockey away at the rink
3: yeah.
1: and to let it be and and, and you know I, a lot of people this is when you have kids or, or there's these moments in life that things change but man kids talk back to you kids have attitude that dog ate a pair of Colhan flats and it didn't matter he ate a guitar cable he, like he it just you couldn't fault him and the whole kind of gist of my my article and everything to that I was I'm gonna have later is, Pets make a huge difference for pro athletes. Huge yeah. difference, yeah. and and they do for everybody in in life. Okay, I, this is not uh, specialized for athletes, but yeah. like I tell you, what man, what we do is really really high stress, and it's in front of thousands of people. It's in front of millions of people when you've counted TV viewership, yeah. and it's tough to deal with, and. I think it's a big reason why we, we have dogs. It's why, you know, you look at David Backus who is such an advocate for animals. He brings two dogs home from Sochi in the Olympics and just, I, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. It's been a tough day and a half um, for sure in our house, but man, we were, we were grateful. And and I got a lot of friends out there that got to beat the dog and he was subsequently scared by a lot of my friends. And (laughs) You know, when you hear from them and you hear from the stories, you just, you realize dogs are family, man. Like I just, I know I'm being long-winded at this point, but it's important yeah. for me. And and I, I can't understand the mindset of people that trivialize the death of a family pet because they are part of the family. And I mean, you, you gotta be some kind of sociopath to think that it's not going to affect people. You know what I mean? Like, right. I just, they're special, man. And and you spend 13 years with an animal like that, Scott. It's it's been a tough that's day, a good, but we were really grateful.
2: That's a good career. It's a good career for Bauer. And yeah. anyway, well, I'm sorry you went through that. Um, so it's okay. Now you, I'm going to pivot unnaturally from the, from
1: Bauer. <laughs> the death um, of the dog. It, does some hockey talk, and that's fine because that's what we do, and that's that's, we that's we life. You that, have to move on. So,
2: oh my god, and like even in like such. Yeah, I, we say this every week, that, that okay, one week, there's not going to be some crazy stuff going on, but, uh, oh my gosh, like today, today it felt to me like we must be reaching some sort of critical mass for the NHL mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, how, how the league responds to the ongoing um Covid nineteen outbreaks from team to team. It's you know just before we started to tape this on uh, late on Tuesday afternoon, Minnesota Carolina canceling their games, discussions about potential positive tests with the National Predators, and so on and so on. And um, I wonder, I I, I just wonder, you know, are are you pessimistic about where we're going, or is this? I mean, is this just, I mean, this is life, right? I mean, in some ways, the NHL is a microcosm, right? It reflects our reality in in society as a whole. And this is, we're not done yet. And the NHL seems to be, they're right back in it. And there's a lot of ripple effects, you know, certainly a lot of still questions about whether the Olympics are even a
1: possibility now. And I just wonder what you make of it. Yeah. I'm just thinking about how, you know, we, behind the scenes here at daily face off, you know, we, we have a constant chain of thoughts basically going back and forth and, Mm -hmm. you know, it felt like today it was just COVID COVID. COVID, Oh, here's more, here's more. Here's. And yeah. When it comes through that quickly and you aggregate it, it seems like it's everybody in the league at one time. It's not, but man, we're getting to the point now that I'm not actually even worried about the Olympics. I'm kind of, starting to get nervous about the NHL season in terms yeah, no of just how, how you finish it. In tr- like, I don't mean finishing the season, the season will finish, yeah. but how many games are going to get moved around now? Like mm-hmm. we're at the point where this is definitely drastically affecting the schedule. Yeah. Okay. You know, you cancel game, Minnesota, Carolina, you've, you've not, I'm sorry. Canceled is not the right word. Postponed. postponed. I apologize yep. everybody, but you, nope, okay. you know, you, we've had games postponed with the senators the flames like it's kind of getting back to what it was and we are living with it and i don't know man like you can only call up so many players and that's provided that your american league team isn't ravaged with COVID as well which we've seen previously providence bruins piles of cases uh, well
2: and you have to have the cap space to do that as
1: well so you know i almost wonder in retrospect if you know if teams would have looked at this season and went man we just we simply can't run up to the cap with our salary. We yeah. can't do it. And hindsight's always twenty twenty because we both sat here at the start of the season and thought, "Yeah, we think we're going to be fine." True. And and that's I think we all had that positive outlook, you know. Short of being an infectious disease specialist who could predict omicrons and all these different variants and and, and like I, maybe we had a false sense of hope. But I, I'm I'm I, I guess nervous isn't the right word about the season, but I, I'm just kind of like I'm kind of worried about it right now and, and how it proceeds. If yeah. that makes sense. Do you think that's a decent way no. to put it, Scott?
2: No, no, I think that's, the, that's the perfect way. And it, I think it is a sense of unease because that's a great word. Expect, Thank you. Yeah. you know, we expected that we would be in a different place. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, I, like I had thought at the beginning, it's going to be, you no, know, it's going to be, Maybe, you know, the occasional case and it would be something that would be easy to ride out on a team by team basis and, um, you know, super looking forward to the Olympics. And and, uh, so I've been thinking about it now for, I've talked to a couple of people in the last couple of days and it's like, geez, waiting to try and figure out, you know, what will A – can you know with the rescheduling of NHL games and this this real you know sort of explosion in the last two or three days? I think there are thirty players in uh, COVID protocols as as you and I are chatting here. So even if you are able to go to the Olympics and you sort out the you know the quarantine issues in China, that's a huge that's a huge hurdle to get over. And where is the clarity, or when is the clarity going to come on that? But I wondered, and, and I am going to get to a question here. It makes me think when <laughs> Pierre Lebrun was on. I, I am getting to a question. But I wonder what in your earpiece. <laughs> what would happen? What what happens if at the end of the day the NHL and the NHLPA say, we're not, we're not going for the whatever the reasons, the the cataclysmic changes to the schedule or the players own decision to say, we don't want to expose ourselves That the the PA will say, we don't want to expose our players to a potential five week quarantine in Beijing. Maybe that three week gap is maybe there's a silver lining, like maybe that gap, which my guess is you can't really reschedule a lot of games in there because of building allotments. But even if you were, let's say you were able to backfill some of the games, but maybe there's a bit of a break in the schedule for everyone, and that at the end of that break, are players healthy, Are teams uh, are they in a place for that stretch run that they normally aren't because mm-hmm. of the rigors of a normal 82 game schedule, and certainly during a normal Olympic year? maybe this is this overlying, that maybe we'll see good health, we'll get through the COVID stuff, and maybe the level of competition down the stretch will be something that we haven't seen in a while. Does that make sense?
1: I understand the optimism a hundred percent. I mean, (laughs) if they don't go, they got three weeks off. My fear is that the boys all hop on a plane to the Bahamas and they come back and it hasn't changed anything. And and that's, that makes me nervous because the optics are going to be so bad of that if it happens. And maybe I'm being fatalistic here. Maybe I'm, but if you get a chance in the middle of the season to go sit on a beach, you're going to take it. Yeah, I would. I know. Okay. So one, like, dude, I never made enough money to go sit on a beach on a vacation at two. I never had a long enough break. I never had the all-star break or a bye week You don't get those when you're grinding in the American (laughs) league. Okay. (laughs) you need to be in the national, you need to earn it. And (laughs) I was never up in the national over one of those, uh, save for like one time. So I, I, I worry about that though. It's like, it's going to be party time for a couple of weeks. And then the guys all get COVID and then things go sideways again. That would suck. That would be, oh, that'd just be brutal, wouldn't it? But I'm going to try to put the, the positive spin on all it. Right. Like you said, that some time off wouldn't be bad, not just from the COVID perspective, but to get more players back. You know, yeah. let them heal, let them get rid of injuries, let these rosters come in pretty stocked with talent come March. Yeah. You know, I mean, like we're all bated breath waiting on Jack Eichel. Well, what if some of these other players that have been out with injuries have the chance to heal up? What if, like, you know, and I'm not sure. I'm just picking cherry picking this instance. But let's think of like Kevin Hayes has been in and out of the lineup yeah. in Philly with injury, and you wonder maybe he's somebody that could really use two solid weeks to heal. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I have no knowledge of that, what that situation is. I'm just cherry picking an idea. Yeah. And that's real because there's so many players throughout the season that they walk in the room. Scott, you've seen it when you've worked for teams that, oh, they're hurting. And they could just use a week off, but they can't. They have to play. Yeah you know? So I, I think there could be a silver lining there. I don't see him going to the Olympics. I mean, the Russian guys are all going to go, you know, I mean, they're, they, they're going to go. Uh, I, I don't know anybody with a family that's going to risk it. How are mm-hmm. you going to say, like, you got a, you got a couple kids, wife at home, and you're going to go to China for three weeks for sure. Maybe turning into eight weeks if yeah. you pop a positive and you're symptomatic. And by the way, it's a country that made a tennis player disappear recently. Totally. Yeah, no, uh, uh...
2: It's,
1: yeah, no, it,
2: it, all of it. And I thought, well, and I wonder, I mean, you, you know, the dynamic of the player and we, you know, we sort of talked about it with, with Andrew, but you know, when, when you listen to Connor McDavid talk about uh, how it's unsettling to, you know, to not know exactly what would happen in China if you tested positive. And I think Alex Petrangelo who's father of four has mm-hmm. expressed Concerns, and you see some of these elite players, who you know, and the players are the driving force behind this, right? Players want more than, more than almost anything to be at the Olympics. It's a crit. It's such a huge. It's so important to the players as it should be, and to hear top players now, especially after missing in 2018 in South Korea. I, to me, that sends a real signal that the, the real feeling in that player group of players who would be potentially going to the Olympics, that there is a lot of concern. That's, that's mm-hmm. what I take from oh, that. Oh,
1: yeah. Reality is set in. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Reality has set in that this isn't a good idea. Yeah. If the players go, they're somehow going to muster up the courage to tell themselves, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. And that's what they're going to be thinking the whole time when they get on that plane is, I'm going to be fine. It's going to be worth it. I'm going to be fine. It's going to be worth it. And maybe it would be for all we know, but that risk, yeah, that risk is pretty high. And Especially if you're 20, if you're a 24 year old player, you're going to get another crack or two down the road. Maybe older players are probably just going, man, it's not worth it. Period. So, I don't know where we head with it, but I am happy that at least in the NHL, we're we're starting to see the ebb and flow of the season, Scott. You know, we're seeing teams rise. We're seeing teams fall. We're seeing, for instance, Nashville Predators, a team that was kind of been hovering all year. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, they're hot right now. Here's a team, man. They've won five straight. Look at them sitting second in the Western. You know, I, I didn't predict. I never thought that was going to happen. And I think I undersold UC Soros's value. He's yeah. like his last like six seven games, red hot. Like, yeah. and, and I just came out with my tandem rankings, and I finished that maybe. I don't know, three days ago. And I think Nashville's either played one or two games since. And I'm already kicking myself in the butt for where I have UC Soros and the Nashville Predators
2: because
1: he's been so good. And, I, and they were the surprise for me. So that's what I'm recently, at least. And what I'm wondering for you is, good or bad, what team has surprised you in the National Hockey League of late? Yeah.
2: I, I love that you mentioned Nashville. I didn't – and, you know, this is how – you know, this is the, the sign of a good working relationship. I don't even think I mentioned it, but I talked to David Foyle – GM of the Predators yesterday for a piece. We didn't
1: plan this, folks. This know, is completely all, off the cuff.
2: <laughs> it's all good. But just talking about, and, and the thing that I hadn't really thought about with the National Predators, and listen, there was a lot of criticism of John Hines the last, you know, year and a half. And after he took over for Peter Laviolette, and listen, that's, you know, David Poyle's very candid. That team, after going to game six of the Stanley Cup final in 2017, and, and like, I don't think people remember how close that series was! PK Subban has a goal call back early in Game One. They get down. They come. Preds come back. It's, listen, that they're this close mm-hmm. to winning a Stanley Cup in 17 against a, obviously a, a, a very good um, Pittsburgh Penguins team. But really, been sort of a steady decline since then. You and yeah. you, you have to make a coaching change. Peter Laviolette goes and. Uh, John Hines comes in, comes in. PK Subban is gone. Ryan Pretty big Ellis roster goes,
1: turnover. Absolutely. Yes. Johansson Duchesne come in. Hartman out. Ellis yeah. out. There's there's been a lot.
2: Kharina retires now. But this is John Hines' first true season. Right? It's his first. you Don't think about it because of COVID. And, but this is our first training camp first season. And I think now we're seeing an identity with that team that much more closely resembles the identity of the Preds teams under Barry Trotz. And that was, you know, and that, a lot of that was mandated. they didn't have money to spend. And so they had to grind, grind, grind. And I think they got away from that. And I think they're much, they're a much harder team to play against than they have been. And I think John Heinz deserves a lot of credit. I'm with you on that. They're, they're a terrific surprise. Um, I guess you know, for me, the the team that that, that I keep—I I don't even wonder—but I, I look at the New York Rangers and I think, man, that is—I just thought I thought the Rangers under Gerard Gallant would be would, that they, they would have success. They got a lot of talent, love their goaltending, but I, I thought they were still a year or two away. Mm-hmm. That they would be a bubble team. That I, you know, in Metro was going to be very tight. That team, and I know they've had a, you know, I think the last couple in a row, and and Shesterkin being injured, this is a real pro- time for uh, Gorgiev to, you know, to sort of reestablish his uh, bona fides and uh, be, you know, because he hasn't played ver- very well at times uh, in that backup role, and um, this is an opportunity for him whether it's to solidify himself as a, you know, the the Plan B in New York or possibly, you know, to create a trade market for a young goaltender for a team that might be looking down the road for a potential starter. But um, I just, that team has been so impressive and I don't see them falling out of that top three in the Metro. Do you, I don't know. What do you make of the range?
1: No, I, well, I picked them to finish second. I think in the Metro, they were the one, they were kind of visionary. They were kind of the one flyer I took though, Scott, I was pretty mundane with my picks and the fly, the Rangers were the one I was like, you know what? I'm going to take them as a team that surprises because I, I Gerard Galant has a track record yeah. with startups and with, with, I mean, with Florida, he did the same thing. Um, I loved their goaltending, which has proven true. with was just He's been the best goalie in the NHL this year. Yeah. And what you did say about Georgiev to me is very interesting because this is a guy who does not want to be a backup at all. I yeah. mean, he wants to be a starting goalie and we've heard his name and trade rumors fairly often. You know, he's yeah. been tied to teams. I think Georgiev, Georgiev has the upside to be a starter. I don't think it's as high as Shishirkin. His numbers were poor to start the year, but he was four one and one. Those are the numbers that matter. Yep. you know. So I, I think there might have been a a bit of a mirage in how bad is even his advanced metrics were terrible. <laughs> like his goal saved above expected was brutal, but it's like he's still winning. So how much is that New York or not? Well, I think this is a team that just flat out gets it done, man. Yeah. And and I think when I looked at him, I'm thinking of. I'm thinking Capo Caco. All right. He's got to be better. Lafreniere. Well, he's got to step up. Well, they've been okay. <laughs> it's been Chris Kreider. Yes. Chris Kreider. This guy's unstoppable. Like what happened? You know what I mean? Like he's, he's engaged. He's not going 30 feet off sides. Like he's on fire on and off the blade. Um, he's a huge part of it. Yeah. And I think that there's just a belief there more than anything. And I think that whole belief Shockingly, is not centered around Zabanajad or Panarin or anybody up front. It's centered around one guy on the backhand and Adam Fox. Yeah. That's that guy's incredible. magic with the puck. And yeah. the two teams in the league that make me nervous if I'm a goalie playing against them. The two biggest Colorado and the, and the Rangers right now, it's because they both have defensemen that can move the puck as well. Kyle McCar, same way in Colorado. Him and Fox to me are just they're an absolute treat to watch. Man, I wish I would have had an opportunity to have somebody like that play in front of me, Scott. <laughs>
2: All right, we're just about at the end. And, of course, every week on The Suitcase and the Scribe, we tip our caps to DoorDash, the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Restaurants and more delivered right to your door. So don't forget that. I know we're heading into the uh, teeth of the holiday season, my friend. So maybe uh, people will be needing a little relief as they get ready for whatever their traditional holiday fair is. Um, before we wrap it up, I'm uh, very uh, tumultuous week for the uh, Vancouver Canucks, but I'm not sure you could have scripted it any better. Bruce Boudreau, 4-0. We talked about Bruce going in there. And I wasn't all that surprised, but I was really pleased for Jim Rutherford comes in as uh, president of hockey ops in the interim GM. He's already, I think, Right now, me he may be doing it right now calling people as he gets his list together um, at some point to hire a GM to come in and and to help to restructure uh, the hockey ops um, department in Vancouver. what a, I mean to me that that fan base deserves some good news and it's mm-hmm. it's it's nice at least even in the short term for them to be rewarded with some strong play under Bruce Boudreaux. and I think, that what Jim Rutherford said in, in his opening press conference about how he wants to approach things. There, there's a reason he's a hall of famer. And I think it's going to be a good fit for that team. Do you, do you have the, do you have a sense? Do you have a vibe on it?
1: Well, first uh great work by you piece you had on Jim Rutherford out of daily face-off is fantastic. And <laughs> that's it. um,
2: it's always about me, Mike. Yeah. You should know that by now.
1: <laughs> well, we don't plug ourselves. So we help each other out. Right. So <laughs> great work on your behalf, but uh, I, I just like that. He was candid. He straight up said there's holes in this lineup. We're going to fix this. Yeah. I mean, if you're on the team, it's like, oh man, we better start. We better figure this out. Like, there's no bigger shot across the bow, especially if you're like a depth player to hear there's holes in this lineup. So either they got to figure it out or they're going to have to get other people. So, first, there's a motivation factor. But um, Boudreaux coming in obviously lightened the room a ton because they had that team had just flat out tuned out Travis Green. Simple as that. They tuned him out, they made up their minds players these days once that happens it's all over for right or wrong and it's just a new guy well what's happened though in the last four games is that Thatcher Demko has been he was been really good all year he's been absolutely astoundingly good these last four games yeah and Brock Besser scored three times at four games including on the power play a couple of them so I and and you can put the microcosm here like of what's happening if you want to distill it and I like to distill things. Sometimes, to me, that's your their quotient. But I do think that this is a team that, hey, they've they've just they've let all that weight off their shoulders, and they said, let's just go play, okay? And are there big system changes? Not really, structurally, not really. Yeah. But they haven't had confidence like this all year of winning games. And even if they got a great goalie performance, or even if Pedersen starts filling the net, or Holve or Besser if they can continue to just have that good feeling about themselves, this probably lineup's not as bad as like, no. come on. There's no lineup in the NHL. That's, that's not got good players. It's true. I'm looking at, I'm looking at Vancouver and I know there's games at hand of people ahead of them, but they're six points out of playoffs. It's a Herculean task for them to even be in the playoff competition comp, uh, in the contention. It really yeah. is. But I think that this gives them some hope and hope is a really good thing because then you start to believe and you just never know. Look at St. Louis in 2018. That team was spinning its wheels more than a, I mean, it's like a (laughs) motorcycle in a mud pit. You know what I mean? Like, and they end up winning the Scantley cup. So credit to Bruce, Bruce Boudreaux. And if nothing else, providing a breath of fresh air and, Man, Rutherford's not afraid to make changes. If there's anything I've ever noticed about his career, he is a horse trader to the core. He will do what it takes that yeah. he thinks to get across the goal line. So yeah. I, I think it's good for them. And I'm I'm very curious, Scott, to see who Lanzer is a GM. I'm curious what who you think may be some, if not names, but the type of person they're looking for to slide into that.
2: Yeah, no, and I think, you know, I I, I was lucky I – Caught up with with Bill Guerin and Tom Fitzgerald. Of course, Bill Guerin, who was, was on Suitcase and described early in our in our being,
1: and uh, recently um, named uh, general recently manager of, GM, the, Olymp- US of the U.S. Olympic U.S.
2: Olympic team. Yep. Hopefully, hopefully, there's an Olympics for him to go to. And then, right. of course, Tom Fitzgerald in uh, in New Jersey as the GM. Both learned that you know worked with Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh and, and and both of them it was interesting because both said oh, the exact same thing that Jim Rutherford's not a micromanager he's a guy who brings in people um gives them a job lets them do the job and i think that's a good thing about somebody like Jim Rutherford is that listen he didn't have to take that job he didn't need to take the job he doesn't I don't know his finances. I'm guessing he didn't need the money to do it. Well,
1: they they better be good. We'll say that.
2: (laughs) But he's and so my guess is he'll he's I think he is the kind of guy that if you brought in a younger GM or an assistant GM or someone um, you know, man or woman who doesn't have a, you know, the traditional NHL management experience, mm-hmm. that he's the kind of guy that is going to work with them to to build it up. I, he's I expect in the matter of hours, perhaps days, he's going to bring in an assistant GM to work in the you know, on the daily business right now. Um, to me, it's it, it's about building out the entire organization sometimes organizations are you know, a closed shop. It's like they, they don't want a lot of people in for some reason. And to me, Jim Rutherford's a guy who's got a big enough sense of self that he's going to surround himself with really good, smart hockey people, regardless of their experience and their background. And he's going to let them do their job. And that, Bill Guerin said that to me, that was, it, it was interesting. It's not just do your job, but if you, if you screw up, if you fall down a couple of times, that's how you learn. And he said, that was a great thing about working for Jim Rutherford. If you made a mistake, okay. What'd you, what'd you learn from that? It wasn't Jim Rutherford standing over his shoulder 12 hours a day. So that's, I expect what will happen in Vancouver. There's a lot of pressure there to win, but there was a lot of pressure in Pittsburgh
1: to win. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, it's good.
1: Well, they brought in guys, not afraid of pressure. Doesn't phase them. Yeah. I mean, really can't get anywhere. I mean, worst thing that can happen is they start, chanting his name and throwing a jersey Start on a the jersey. ice Yay. i guess it really could get worse couldn't it but uh yeah. i don't know man i i i haven't spent a lot of time in vancouver i have friends in vancouver i just i like seeing cities that haven't had a chance before to really i mean I it has a it hasn't won period let's just say that yeah I, I like seeing cities that haven't won before get those opportunities and yeah. so i'm always rooting for a place like vancouver yeah me too
2: all right, brother. Next week, we'll be right nigh on the holidays. I can't wait. Uh, hope the next few days get better for you and your family and you have good memories of as I'm sure you will. And Excellent work. We'll do it again next week.
1: Sounds good. Thanks for carrying me, Scott. You always uh, do.
2: It wasn't <laughs> even the case. My pleasure any day.
1: Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash.
0: Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode.